The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the people began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Remember me? It's good to be back with you all. Lots of stories to tell. I want to start with one that some of you will probably recognize. You really don't get to know your own culture until you are traveling overseas and you happen to meet another American tourist. Our story from Japan this summer was that we were taking a bus trip to visit one of the World Heritage Sites in Japan, and so we got up early and got on the bus, and we're getting ready to leave Tokyo. She showed up late for a bus trip in Japan. (laughs) Remarkably, the bus waited for her. What was even more remarkable is when we arrived at the World Heritage Site, we all piled out of the bus, and we were standing in the parking lot. It was probably 95 degrees, and the humidity was probably about 60%, and we were anxious to get going, and she started to light in to our hostess, saying, this is not the itinerary I paid for, in a voice loud enough for God and everyone to hear. Well, I found myself torn in a number of different directions. Maybe I should have taken up, you know, today's letter to the Ephesians. Let us all speak the truth to our neighbors. As in, there are 25 other people here. 
and we need to go and visit the site. Can you talk about this some other time? There was the side of me that was so embarrassed I just wanted to crawl under a rock someplace and not to be identified. I certainly couldn't pass as Japanese, but maybe if I broke into phrases of German or something, to create some distance there, right? Our host was, of course, the consummate professional and stood there very patiently and managed to steer her in the right direction. And I was sort of caught up in my own judgments. Even wondered if my wife would be coming home back to America with me after an incident like that. But it was later that same day as we got back to Tokyo and the bus dropped us off at Shinjuku Station in downtown that I learned my lesson. If you've never been to Tokyo, Shinjuku Station is one of the busiest train stations on the face of the earth. It makes Grand Central look like a kindergarten exercise, let's put it that way. The station occupies a whole intersection, major intersection in Japan, and most of the major train lines in Tokyo come there, and there's like a huge shopping mall underneath with all kinds of shops and places to eat, and a million and one platforms to go to, and we navigated our way through that in the middle of rush hour as everybody was coming home on a very hot and sultry evening from work. People were tired, we were tired. We got down to the platform and the trains were jam-packed and my family very deftly stepped onto the train and managed to pack their way in, and I was a little bit slow and flat-footed, and suddenly all of these business people rushed around me and onto the train, and I was squeezed out, and the doors closed, and the train left. So I was caught in that moment where I felt utterly abandoned and left behind, and neglected, and if anything sort of takes on the ego that comes with privilege, it's that, right? I am not privileged here. Perhaps I have been left behind, ignored, abandoned, even. That's the world that we inhabit, right? It's the world that is constantly telegraphing to us that if we don't keep up, if we don't compete, we will lose. We get told this over and over and over again, particularly by people in power, but everywhere we look, we see this message over and over again. And it's nowhere clearer than in today's vivid reading from 2 Samuel. As an aside, this reading has been cause for all kinds of literary interest that image of Absalom caught between heaven and earth in the branches of the tree. It doesn't get much earthier than that, does it? It's, in that sense, very old, very Hebrew, this sense of earthiness. There's also this incredibly strange phrase, the forest claimed more victims that day than the sword. Interestingly enough, that was a verse that inspired Tolkien as he was writing The Lord of the Rings. If you remember that image from the two towers where the ants come and the, they bring the forest with them and the orcs are defeated and they flee into the forest and the forest clobbers them, that was inspired by this verse. That's my aside for today. 
But of course, this is the pinnacle of a series of stories we've heard over the past several weeks that began with David in Jerusalem having sent all of the young men off to war, sitting almost seems alone in his palace, and his eye begins to wander, and of course he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he desires her, and so he hatches up a plan to get rid of her husband so that he can marry her and bring her into the life of the palace. And Nathan, the prophet, confronts David and tells him, now your own household will turn against you. This will be the judgment that you have to live with. The deeper thread goes all the way back to Samuel's prophecy at the very beginning of this cycle of stories when the Israelites come to Samuel and say, give us a king. And as I'm fond of saying, Samuel warns them, do you really want a king? Because it's a package deal. You're going to get a king, yes, and you can be like all the other peoples around you, but this also means that you're going to have someone who is going to send your young men off to war, who is going to come and demand produce from the fields to fund that war. In other words, you are going to begin to lead the life of all the other nations, which is a life that is based on violence and destruction and power and all of the competition that comes with that. A life of winners and losers. A life of suffering. And Samuel is, in a not-so-subtle way, telegraphing to them, this is not God's dream for you. This is not God's dream. David has learned this lesson the hard way. David, the great young hero of Israel who helped defeat the Philistines and establish the people and the lands, now witnesses with horror as his children turn on each other out of abuse and murder. And Absalom murders his brother and then snatches the kingdom away from David. And so we arrive at today's story when the tide has at last turned David has returned to Jerusalem and is reestablishing power, and he wants to put down this cycle of violence. He wants Absalom, his son, to be spared. He wants to put down the weapons of war and vengeance. But David must learn the hard way that once the dogs of war are unleashed, it's so hard to pull them back. That's the world we inhabit, right? This is the world with which we are most familiar. It's the world that, yes, left me feeling left behind on a hot platform in Shinjuku Station this summer. Small thing, right? But as you all know, when you're a foreigner in a foreign land, and as I'm fond of saying, I know just enough Japanese to get myself into trouble, there's at least a moment of horror 
of terror, of fear. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's precisely that fear that underlies so much of the language of violence and privilege and entitlement that we experience, both in ourselves and in others. But Jesus offers the alternative in today's reading from John, because balancing this cycle of violence and terror, the world with which we are most familiar in these readings from Samuel, we've begun to hear the bread of life cycle in the Gospel of John. And for those of you who have been with us, you remember how this story begins. It begins with Jesus out in the wilderness with the crowds, and they are hungry, and he has them all sit down, and he feeds them. Something radical happens, and their lives are forever altered. And they are fed. And they can't help themselves now, but follow after him. And not even Jesus' closest followers really understand what's going on. Nor, frankly, does the Christian community to which John's gospel is written. Nor, frankly, do we. That's why John keeps going into metaphor and poetry and this strange image and strange teachings, as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never be hungry and will never thirst. And even more radically, what I give for the world is my flesh. Naturally, we are like the crowds in today's gospel. We know this Jesus. We know his parents. We know his culture. Where did he get all this? Wasn't he supposed to be a carpenter? Wasn't he supposed to inhabit the world that we know so well, the world of winners and losers, where people get left behind if they can't keep up, and people get set aside if they don't do their job? and people expect things if they pay for it. Isn't that the world that Jesus is a part of? No, what Jesus offers us is God's dream. God's dream that was given even before Samuel, even long before David, even before the Israelites were a people, God's dream for not just the human family, but all of creation. A dream in which everyone is fed. Everyone has a place. Everyone is loved. A world that looks like all of the things we like to speculate about when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, right? Well, maybe people had brought, you know, little bags of food with them. 
and Jesus inspired them to share. Maybe the miracle was so amazing, it was indeed, in fact, a multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And it was the miracle of miracles. Maybe it is a story about our Eucharistic practice. All of those things are true in God's dream for us. God's dream is what we call in the church the sacramental life where life is made sacred and holy as we learn to share and look out for one another, as we learn to love and be generous rather than greedy and self-centered, as we learn humility over entitlement, as we learn self-offering over privilege, as we learn to embrace the least among us and set aside all of the ways the world should tell us to be and embrace the life that God in Christ offers us. That is the mystery of the sacramental life. And it's one that we recapitulate week after week as we approach God's table with outstretched hands. And perhaps an inkling somewhere in our hearts that we're not sure we're ready for this. But nonetheless, God is. God is ready to offer. Even what we are not sure we are ready to receive that kind of love, that kind of abundance. So after that moment of horror, sitting on the platform at Shinjuku, of course, it's Japan, and it's Shinjuku Station, which means, yes, another train comes along in three minutes. And this one had more space on it, even space for a gaijin like me. And so the next stop, I was reunited with the family, and we all went home in the sultry heat. Had a good night's rest. Because there really is enough grace, even in Tokyo, for everybody. You have to wait for it. Sometimes. That's how God's grace is there for us. There will be another train. It's not a world of winners and losers. It's a world of life. Life given for all. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. 
You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907. Search for us online or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.